Miles, we had quite a game. The Washington Commanders summoned their troops and they came across the country, but they were in the harbor of the Mariners. And no, man, I really screwed that up. I, in my mind, I was thinking this would work. And then it just hit me that it's working. No, it's working. Listen, it's working. They crossed the, the Delaware. They crossed yeah. the Mississippi. They mm-hmm. matriculated the across the country. The the Mariners are there are always the allies to the Seahawks. That's historically always been true. You think of a captain where he's got a Seahawk perched on his shoulder. The yeah. Mariners. The, yeah. Man, if this was Mariners versus Commanders, that intro would have been so much better. But the Seahawks, a win is a win. We were victorious versus the Commanders. But as we always, Miles, how are you doing, my friend? Tristan, it's great to be with you. Coming to you, we've really, we really took our time to digest this one. Uh, it's it's great to be back here. And you know what? It is it is good to be discussing a win. It's good to keep that in mind. Uh, there's definitely things to nitpick about. It was kind of an annoying. Uh, experience watching this game. I don't know if you felt the same thing. It, it, is annoying a good way to describe it? I, I felt annoyed. And then I felt, come on, man, it's football. But I, I think it was an annoying experience on some levels. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely plenty of drives where you were just waiting for the offense to kick it into gear. I kept thinking, okay, it's about to happen. I really like the whole game, probably around the second quarter on, I was like, okay, at any moment, Gino is going to unleash a, a just a, 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 a torrid of, of touchdown passes. This, this will be incredible. And it, to your point, it was a little anticlimactic. I will always say, I think you agree, a win is a win, right? I mean, a win is a win is a win. We will take every single one. This is a great win to get. Um, Really quick, one of my big takeaways is this commander's team, even though they lost two of their top pass rushers, this is not a bad team. I don't think this is this was some, you know, slappies coming into Seattle. Um, hey, we're going to have a laugher and, and absolutely destroy them. I think they're a legit good team. I don't think they're a great team, but I think they're a respectable team and they played that way. My, I think my jaw literally did do a little drop. At one point in the broadcast, they mentioned this was Sam Howell's 11th career start. And I was like, whoa, whoa, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, in, that's in the middle of your rookie year, really. And uh, big ups to Eric Bieniemy. It is so crazy to me that he is not a head coach in the NFL. And it is very random that he left the Chiefs and went to this very much a, a rebuild project. You know, none of the big names that that he worked with over in Kansas City. This is a very an offense made up of of small names, not necessarily small talent, but you know, it's a relatively obscure group. They it's a it's a relatively obscure past with this Washington team. But yeah, he he's making it work. It's it's it is insane he that he has not been hired as a head coach in the NFL, even though this. 500-ish commander's team obviously is not the Super Bowl champion like the Chiefs. Uh, you could argue this is one of his his greatest accomplishments, getting this this offense. He, just getting Sam Howell league leader in passing yards. I mean, okay, so we understand that that doesn't mean it's like the very best passing offense in the league, but to have a fifth rounder in his 11th career start leading the league in passing yards, it's, it's pretty, it's incredible. 
I mean, I'm, I'm looking at his stat line right now, 29 for 44, 312 yards, three touchdowns. Um, one thing that's kind of cool, if you look at just, you know, his top two receivers, Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson, um, you know, utilizing the easy passes, right? So, hey, I'm not going to force things. Obviously, two great, you know, little running backs that were able to um, make a, a huge impact on this game and give him easy completions. But yeah, I mean, I, I had the exact same takeaway, man. I, I looked at this game and I was like, Sam Howell, he looks comfortable. And, and I feel as though I've watched him a few times this year. And every time I have the same takeaway, like it does not look like it's this guy's 11th game in the NFL. And I have to attribute that to processing power because there are so many quarterbacks where it just seems like it either takes them years to be able to process at the NFL level, or they just never can. And they, they have moments of brilliance, but they just never have that look where it's like, okay, this doesn't seem too fast for me. Sam Howell, it just looks like, yeah, no, I'm good to go, which, um, you know, it's not like he's a herald, you know, heralded great quarterback. He's not a, you know, a number one pick or anything like that. And yet, um, you know, he's making a big impact on this team. So yeah, really, really, really fun to fun to watch them. It it seemed like the offense had really good the ability for him to dump off to somebody short as like a last option, so that there was there was always like something positive available, it felt. Uh even more so for Washington than for Seattle in this game. It felt like a good design. It wasn't ever like because sometimes with young quarterbacks. The coach like doesn't trust them enough to the point that it's dump offs, dump offs, and, and a short game that the defense can get a handle on really quick. But it felt like there was a really good balance of deep threats, and then like if okay, if that's not working, we just go to the short one and take whatever yards are there. And some of those plays were ended up being their biggest plays with some monster yards after the catch action. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'm I'm again, I'm still looking at it. Brian Robinson receiving his long was for 51, right? And he had a couple of those really long catches. Um Antonio Gibson his long was 19. And so I mean, those were both all of their impact was line of scrimmage type yak yardage. And they they made a massive, massive impact. I mean, Brian Robinson, maybe it's his best game of the year. I mean, I um, not that anyone wants to hear about my fantasy team, but I do have Brian Robinson on my fantasy team. And, uh, you know, I I always root for the Seahawks. So I was I was holding my breath a little bit. But at the same time, okay, if you're going to score a touchdown, you know, you could score from just that one guy. Um, Full disclosure, I want everyone to know. I'm always rooting for the Seahawks. I would happily have my fantasy team lose every single week if it meant the Seahawks won. It's it's Seahawks number one. Fantasy is is far far behind it. Um, but no, they they looked really really good. Um, I think it's a good little team. I, I don't think there's any any major issues with them. Um, and that's you know that that was my takeaway from their perspective um, was just like how good I just looked this up by the way Sam Howell the was the one hundred and forty fourth pick in the draft in twenty twenty two. Man, it, you know what? And I what my first thing that I was going to mention about the Seahawks was was a little bit on the negative side. And even though we have uh, gone hats off here to to the Commanders for several minutes, even though this game ended in a last second field goal. I think you'll agree that there, that even though the, the Seahawks didn't kind of put all the pieces together 
as we have been waiting and waiting for, there was the feeling that they were the better team and that they yes. had control of the game, even though the margin was slim to tied for a lot of it. It was also this kind of the feeling like like Washington was playing catch up and Seattle was was the better team. And it's it's not like they got away with one. Again, even though it was a last second field goal to win it, Seattle did enough they're a better enough team that they were in control of the game and got the win, even without, even not on their best day. A lot, I mean, a lot of positives for both teams here, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree. And even to your point, you know, this game looks a lot different if Seattle gets that field goal at the end of the half, right? Going into half, if you go in up another three and you're getting the football back, instead they go, you know, they don't get that three points. Um, that's a a sequence that easily could have gone our way. It didn't and things need to be fixed. Um, but yeah, to your point, I, there was enough of those little swing moments in the game where you're like, yeah, this, this could have been a, a 10 point game. This, this could have been something that looked a lot different and feels a lot different in retrospect than, than it ended up, you know, being that. So this was the one negative thing I wanted to say about the Seahawks uh, performance was they really there were four plays in the first half and uh there was the the half ending play and then there were three other moments on third and fourth down where they simply didn't convert and it really hid the fact that they were kind of a dominant <laughs> team that this if they just converted a couple of those moments um uh, then i think this game really becomes a blowout to and get this so baltimore the week before sorry to bring this up but baltimore uh, we might recall had had their dominant performance over the Seahawks in the first half of that game, and Baltimore controlled the ball and and every everything in, in that game. In the first half of that game, Baltimore had 38 offensive snaps and 235 total yards, and they they went into halftime up 17 to three. So 38 total plays, 235 total yards. In the first half of this game. The Seahawks had 48 total plays and 225 total yards. So it's virtually identical uh, offensive performance. Mm. But instead of being up 70 to three, because uh, there were no touchdowns scored, it was just three three field goal attempts. Big ups to Jason Myers for converting them all, but went into halftime tied 9-9. And uh, <laughs> we've talked before about how the team struggled in the red zone today. I think maybe one of the reasons this game was annoying is they struggled to get into the red zone. So they had 81 offensive snaps for the whole game, which is a huge number. And only seven of those plays were in the Washington red zone, which is really crazy because they just kept on putting drives together, accumulating yards. Then it would get to that third or fourth down moment. It wouldn't work out. And then they'd kick a, a longer field goal. These weren't chip-in field goals Jason Myers had. Um, so just a lot of action in the middle of the field overall. And it it turned it, – I think that's why you wanted to see a blowout because you're kind of going, okay, against a really good team, they're not going to be as forgiving against those mistakes as Washington ended up being. Yeah, and I, what you just described perfectly – encapsulates encapsulates there we go that's the word i was looking for um the, the stat line so geno smith right he has 369 yards you hear that that's a ma- i mean that's a big number for for a quarterback especially for for a seattle quarterback to to put up that kind of yardage and you would think that would lead to more points obviously so it really speaks to the vibe of the game that you're talking about that we were moving the ball, but maybe not the most 
opportune places, right? And and that's why you go in, you know, tied nine nine. That means you had multiple trips down and you just couldn't um you couldn't punch it through at the end of it. So yeah, it was an interesting stat game. I mean, even the fact that Gino didn't have any interceptions has that many yards. If I just gave you those two stats, Gino has you know, almost 400 yards of of passing offense and no interceptions. How, you know, do you think we blew him out? You if you were a betting man, I would imagine like that'd be a pretty good bet. If I if I give you just those two pieces of information and then based off of that, do you want to bet on this game? You'd be like, yeah, I, I think 100 bucks. That, that makes sense. And, you know, it was not necessarily the case. It wasn't the sexiest performance in the world. I actually so I'm going to uh, talk about uh, the so I, I looked that up because I, I was surprised to see 369 yards. It, it is a lot of yards. And I was very curious. So th- that's the last negative thing I have to say about the Seahawks. I mean, they, they did put together a win and a lot of good stuff happened, including this Geno performance. So I was curious just how rare it was. So the final stat line, 369 yards, two passing touchdowns, and no interceptions. And I, uh, this is kind of a Bill Simmons move, I guess. I, I invented a stat. I said, the, the quarterback masterclass stat. And, and what I said was, over 300 passing yards, no interceptions, which I know isn't totally fair because not every interception is the quarterback's fault. But just to, we're talking quarterback masterclass here. So over 300 passing yards, no interceptions, and team gets the win. Just those three things. And it's a little, you know, this is such an offensive era of football. It's still a very rare thing to occur. So I looked it up for Gino. This was only the third time in his Seahawks career that that he's put together that quarterback masterclass. Um, the second one was earlier this year against Detroit. The first one was the win over Detroit last year as well. So that's three times for Gino since he's been a Seahawk, which is... Uh, 10% of his total starts as a Seahawk. He's put together this quarterback masterclass, including, you know, this this game against Washington. So I really uh so I was, I just did a little bit of a comparison, just a little bit of a checkup on on one Russell Wilson just to mm. see, you know, because because look, because there's been a lot of discussion about does Geno deserve to to keep the job? That's not something we discussed. We we've appreciated him even even in his down moments and this was a really high moment. Russell Wilson hasn't had that happen with the Broncos yet. The most passing yards he's had in a game was actually that opening loss against the Seahawks. So that's, he had 340 yards in that game. Week one loss to the Seahawks last year. That's still the highest uh, single game yardage he's had. Um, so Russ hasn't put it together with the Broncos yet, that quarterback master class. With the Seahawks, Russ did it 11 total times over his career which is only 7% of his starts. So Gino's doing it just a, a little bit more frequently than Russ did, even as a member of the Seahawks, getting the 300 yards, no interceptions, and a team win. Those are three cool things to look at. That's a really interesting way to look at because it, it it speaks to, obviously, moving the ball, protecting the football, right? I mean, which is a, a such a massive piece into getting that win. I, I like it. And just uh, I went to the top, so we got Gino doing it ten percent of the time. Russell zero percent with the Broncos, seven percent with the Seahawks. Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs, he's he does it twenty percent of the time. 
with interesting. Uh, so I think I think that's about as high as it gets to do that twenty percent of the time. It's it's pretty. It it seems like kind of a low bar to say three hundred yards, no interceptions, and a team win. But uh, even even in this offensive age of, of football, it's it's a big it's a big deal when that happens. I think so. I I've always kind of I've never really been impressed by a three hundred yard game, but seeing that you know. Patrick Mahomes, 20% of the time, that means like three times a year he's doing that, you know? So it's a rare thing for it to happen. Yeah, and it makes sense because the ultra-conservative quarterbacks that are maybe passing it, you know, less than 220 or, you know, in the 200 range, maybe they're being ultra-conservative, which means they're not taking risks, which means they're not trying to fit into tight windows, which keeps them away from the interception, but also keeps them away from the yardage, right? So... Um, it's, it's, it's a good metric because 300 yards is assuming and basically asking, Hey, like you got to throw it down the field a little bit to get to 300. Most of the time. I mean, there's outlier games with just unbelievable screen passes, but for the most part, that means that the quarterbacks being aggressive, at least to a certain level, and then also protecting the football simultaneously. That's it. It's actually, it's a really intriguing I, I'm, I'm going to look into that more. I think that's an interesting, what do you call that? Oh, you, the, the, the QB masterclass that, that is, do you, do, are you, are you going to workshop any shorter names for it? Trade trademark. Okay. That's no. Trademark, well, I do, I do want to say, cause I think Lamar only had about 200 passing yards in the, the blowout win of the Seahawks. So I, I yeah. do realize, and that I do appreciate that. I think a quarterback can play. A, a perfect or near perfect game, a winning game with a lot less than 300, but these are the like the the way this game tilted. Like Geno needed to go out and win it. You know, he he could have just hang back and and get those kind of those rare opportune moments as Lamar had the luxury of doing last week. So, um, yeah, quarterback no, masterclass, man. copyright Miles Ray twenty thirteen. There's no way to shorten that. I don't think, but I think we can get it all in there. Uh, no, I mean, I think it'll fit in the podcast. We know that. And I and said then, 2013. I didn't did. mean 2023. I was only, I was a short decade off. <laughs> it's, listen, what's 10 years amongst friends? It's nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It is It is a blink of an eye. And um, yeah, it is 2023. That's for sure. And so just if All anyone right. is going okay. to, if it, well, and if anyone's going to the trademark office, I think it's important to have the date, right? Because I'm, I'm assuming you go to the trademark office, you pull those really long, skinny drawers out, and you know it has all the very tiny little filing cabinet, and you're looking through each one. They're like the size of a, of a recipe card. And I'm assuming that's the only way you can look up trademarks. You fly to Washington, D.C. It is a very um, uh, uh, musty smelling building with a lot of oak. Um, mm. You have to be extremely quiet. You find the trademark section and you pull out these extremely long drawers. They're almost Harry Potter-ish drawers, I imagine. Like, it's almost magical that you could pull these things out that long. And then one little card by card you have to go through to find the reference. So if if you're interested, that's where where you go to look that up. And when you get there, I I can't advise you enough. Do not go to the 2013 drawer. Mm -hmm. Go to the 2023 drawer. It's not that I thought of this 10 years ago. It's it's that I, I forgot what decade I was living in. Yeah, I lost track that, here and there. I'm, 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 I'm real precise on some stats and real loosey-goosey with some others. You know, It happens. No, it happens to everybody. And and we are recording on a Friday. So both of our brains are probably just a little, you know, 
we're just a little more relaxed. It's we're going into the weekend. Um, so I'll say this, a, a big takeaway for me in this game and what I was really craving was to see the running game come back. And, you know, it, it's interesting. We only ran it for 120 yards, but the commitment to the running game in this, in this particular game was really clear. They, they were giving it to, to K9, 19 carries for 63 yards. So look, that's not the most beautiful, sexiest thing I've ever seen. Um, Zach Charbonnet, six carries for 44. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Both of them had some really nice, big, you know, kind of 10, 12, 13 yard type runs that were, and a couple of those actually on first down. So it was kind of fun to see those guys just get some nice, solid running in. Um, but to me, you know, we talk about balance on offense and we talk about, hey, can we get more of that three tight end set? And, you know, th- those are some of those easier passes. Even more so than that for me is is getting back to the very basics. We talked about it last week, right? The, the basics of football. And I, I think you could see really clearly a commitment from the team. Let's get back to the basics. Let's run the football. Um, even if we're not getting huge chunk yardage every single time, that's okay. We're going to control the game. We're going to do this a little differently this week. Um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe that accounts for some of those third downs that that didn't pan out the way we wanted and and maybe a couple of throws and we stay on the field longer and maybe there's a, a more you know a touchdown or two um but you know i for me the the more i watch football the more i crave just a solid running game and i i like to see the commitment i like seeing k9 with you know those 20 carries um i i will Keep saying it more Charbonnet. I'm, I'm happy to get that young man more and more um, involved in the game, but um, it was nice to see us reestablish the run. I, I totally agree. I was really impressed by Charbonnet. Um, I was looking at this uh, it, as I was watching it. It seemed to me that. OK, well, he, well here, here's here's the case this year. So Charbonnet's got 38 attempts on the year and pro football reference tracks yards before contact and yards after contact, even for running backs. So Charbonnet, his yards before contact is 3.8, and Walker is 2.9. So Charbonnet, for each run, is getting almost a full additional yard before getting contacted. And I was, I guess I was wondering if that, is that more a function of he's not running the ball nearly as much as Walker, or is that because he's been such a big, Charbonnet's been such a bigger pass threat that the defense is not necessarily... Like when Charbonnet's on the field, it's not necessarily signaling a run. So maybe there's a little more space for him. Anyway, it seemed like a big gap, though. Um, 3.8 yards before contact for Charbonnet versus only 2.9 for Walker. That's a big gap. And I, it seems like Charbonnet has earned a bigger role to me. Not, not, that, not that Walker's earned a demotion necessarily, but um, yeah, Char- Charbonnet's really good. He's fun to watch, isn't he? Yeah, and I, and I think most people feel that way. Kenneth Walker, nothing. I mean, he's awesome. Like, I, I, I want to see more Walker too. I, I want to see uh, a continued um, focus on the running game in general. Yeah, I certainly would never want to say something about the running game and wanting to see more Charbonnet, meaning I want less Walker. I think really it's, um, you know, I, I guess in some ways maybe it's something that that you can't have, but I want both. You know, and 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 I guess that just means more ball control 
converting more on third downs, more opportunities for the offense. Although you already mentioned, right, we had a lot of offensive plays. So it's not as though this was some game where we barely possessed the ball or didn't have any plays. Like we we had quite a few. Um, so yeah, maybe at the end of the day, it's a bit of a fan pipe dream. You can only have, each guy can only have so many touches. There is a finite amount. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, Zach continues to be really fun to watch. Um, and, and K9, he's, he's bringing it just as well. So, um, I, I think we're in good hands. I will say that I think between these two young running backs, um, the Seahawks are in an awesome position moving forward to, to have success sustained for a long time. And I'll say one other thing, just concerning running the football, um, the other side of it, right? We limited them to 68 yards as the team. That is always a beautiful thing when you see those low numbers. You know, I mean, almost anything under 100 feels pretty good, it seems like. But when you hold a team to 68 yards rushing, you know, that certainly limits their ability. And, um, you know, something I heard Pete talk about during his press conferences, um, and it was really clear watching the game, that they had Draymond Jones out um, playing that end position quite a bit in this game. So, if you look at the defensive line, you had Jaron Reed. So this, I believe, was the starting defensive line group. It was Jaron Reed, Leonard Williams, uh, Boye Mafe on one side, and uh, Draymond Jones on the other side. That's a that is a hard line to run against. I mean, you and, and it goes back to. I mean, God bless him. Hopefully, this podcast will always continually reference Red Bryant. But it goes back to the Red Bryant defensive front where they when when red first had his great success they put that beautiful massive man out on the end he was playing defensive end in Pete carroll's system and we went from everyone could run the football on us to suddenly red was out there and it's like oh yeah now now we're good against the run and so i think what they're doing with draymond jones is it's kind of the best of both worlds draymond is obviously much smaller than red um so he so he has the quickness and the speed to be able to play on the edge, but he's also extremely stout against the run. So I'm very curious to see this over the next few weeks if if it's a trend that we it will continue. Pete mentioned he expects it to continue. I think it's a very interesting defensive look that they're putting on the field right now. So good to see that we're also stopping the run. That's a great point. I'll I'll definitely be keeping an eye on how they're on on how that defensive line is is working. Next week, yeah, we'll, we'll call it the Red Bryant front. is uh, is what I would lovingly refer to it as. Um, do you want to hear some snap counts? I do want to hear some snap counts. Is this an appropriate time? I um, uh, snap counts are brought to you this week by um, snappy dressers everywhere. Um, do you have a friend that's a snappy dresser? Would you like to be a snappy dresser? Um, the recommendation from the podcast would be if you know people that you consider snappy dressers, have a conversation with them and ask them their advice on, on kind of how you should approach your wardrobe. Um, snappy dressers everywhere. Thank you very much. Um, snap counts. So this was kind of an interesting game. And admittedly, there's a few guys that I was kind of bummed to see their snap counts drop off quite a bit. Um, I'll start with our highlights, though. JSN, 62%. That feels kind of perfect. I'm loving his role in this offense. Um, Charbonnet, as mentioned, it's kind of a great line here. Charbonnet was in there 52% of the snaps. 
So he's getting a ton of snap counts. He only got six carries. Um, and I'm looking at this right now live. He had four um, uh, receptions in the game. So um, he touched the ball a total of 10 times, um, and uh, but was in there 52% of the time. So it's kind of an interesting, um, interesting little tidbit. Uh, Leonard Williams, 69% of the time. I, I kind of love that, right? We're not overloading the big man. He's not out there 80% of the time. Um, Derek Hall, he slipped quite a bit, 18% of the time. So a guy that I think we're looking to continue to make steps in a Boye Mafe type way. Maybe we'll take Derek a, a year like it took Boye. Um, but you know, hopefully we continue to see development from him because I, I'd love to see that number a little higher. Um, but here's one that's kind of fun. Draymond Jones, only 48% of the time he was out on the field, which when when you think about these these is superstar the right term? I don't know. I'll just say stars. Our stars on the defensive line are Leonard Williams and Draymond Jones. The fact that it, we don't have to tax them and have them out there constantly, I feel like, again, you know, this is a, a an old theme that I've been um, harping on for a while, but I think it's a very, very good sign that we have the depth in the defensive line that we're not over, overextending guys like Leonard Williams or Draymond Jones, um, 68 and uh, 48% respectively. Um, so that snap counts. I, I, I'll just say it. My favorite guy, the guy that I, I love seeing his numbers creep up. It looked like Cam Young had zero snaps in the game, which um, breaks my heart just a little bit because I love me some Cam Young. So hopefully he's able to turn this around and, and get more involved in the game. Maybe if Pete was talking to us right now, he would say that the way that the game went and you know the, the way they designed this game and the scripting of this game, he just wasn't the right guy for it. Um, so there might be more to that story, but the raw numbers tell us that, you know, Cam wasn't able to help us this time. It's such a funny thing with Draymond Jones getting 48%. It's such a unique position group where you see that and you go, ah, oh, that's a great thing to have one yeah. of your best players only playing half the time. But that, that, is, that does, that's just the nature of defensive line, I guess, where, it, yeah, that is a good thing because it, it, it shows that you've built a team really well and yeah. uh, you, you want to keep on seeing that, which is, yeah, just kind of you wouldn't want to see that from just about any other position, you know, but uh I think it's a really good uh, a healthy sign, like a healthy uh heart rate of the team. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, to your point, we want to see Quandre and Witherspoon and Jamal Adams and even Bobby and uh Jordan Brooks. Like we want those guys at 95 to 100% of the snaps every game. Um but yeah, to your point, very different positions. I Hard to imagine how much energy it takes for those guys to just be fighting the entire time, you know, on the inside of those lines. So, um, yeah, good, good stuff coming. I wanted to make sure I tip my hat today. Uh, today I'm wearing a, a newsboy cap from mm. the 1920s, and I wanted to to tip it to a man that I, I was critical of a few weeks ago, and that's that's Mr. DK Metcalf. I thought he had a monster game. Um, I wrote down two times, once in the second quarter, and then, most importantly, the very crucial play to set up the game-winning field goal in the fourth quarter. I wrote down two times where he broke a tackle. I was very surprised to see on Pro Football Reference, where I got the broken tackle stats before, that they they registered zero for him in this game. So I don't... Oh, interesting. I don't know what to make of that, because I literally wrote down in the second quarter... DK, broken tackle, great sign. Like, love to see it. And then 
Uh, even though Mark Sanchez on the broadcast thought DK was kind of wasting time going for the broken tackles, that was crucial in setting up that that game-winning field goal. I love to see the physicality and the aggressiveness. So maybe I'll have to just watch every single catch in the NFL um, over the last five years to get the accurate broken tackle count. But uh, So pro football reference, if you look, it still says DK only has one on the season. But I counted two in this game against Washington. It ended up he had 42 yards after the catch total. His season high before that was 28. Uh, and 42 yards after the catch, that's the sixth best total of his entire career. Love to see that additional aggressiveness, which I was asking for a few weeks ago. And I think it made a really big difference. I mean, the 42 yards after the catch, that's a pretty sizable chunk. You know, Gino had a huge day with 369 yards. Well, okay, 42 of those were, were DK running. After the catch, which takes you up from, you know, 320 to, to 360. Yeah. And, and to your point. So first of all, just unabashed, like happy fan. That was such a freaking fun thing to watch. It was so cool to watch him just drag like three or four dudes with him right down the field. I mean, it, it felt very vintage DK. And I mean, he's a young man, um, but but just a really fun thing to see him do that. Um, and to your point, and I, I couldn't agree more with all due respect to Mark. Sanchez, um, I very much disagree with his point of like, just get down there. Um, you know, DK got what another 12 yards after contact there or something like that. I mean, that's critical when you're kicking that field goal and they had plenty of time. I mean, they got up to the line, they were able to wait a few seconds, you know, six, five, four, snap the ball. I think they snapped what at three or four seconds left on the clock. So, um, Gina was able to put that together just fine. And yeah, I'll take those yards all day because you're asking Jason Myers on on what sounded like a fairly kind of rainy, windy day up there to be able to, you know, let's give him that extra 12 yards of, of cushion and, and margin of error. So yeah, no, huge shout out to DK. That, that was a really, really, really fun. That was kind of like puff your chest out moment. Like, yeah, like we just did it. We just ran this down your throat. It, that, that was a good DK play. It was a winning play because uh, keeping in mind, you know, Sanchez, NFL veteran, I, I, he kind of misread in the moment the the game, the clock and, and the game situation, whereas you could say DK read it perfectly. He kind of understood he received the ball on on the outside of field goal range and then and then really added a lot of uh, like expected value or like points of probability that that was it just done really smartly and um yeah, like like I said, that's what that's what I felt was missing a few weeks ago. The fact that he there was there was a play against the Bengals where I, I felt he could have attempted to break a tackle and maybe could have gotten a touchdown, and he just went out of bounds. and And to see that level of physicality and aggressiveness, uh, almost more than anything, helped them win the game. You know, you know that that was you know huge huge day from Jason Myers. Obviously, you have to kick the field goal, but it was it was just a winning play, reading the situation perfectly. No, oh, I love that, man. You know, I 100% agree. And that plays kind of perfectly into um, a takeaway I had just from the passing game, which is that Gino really spread this this the ball out this game. Um, everyone helped him. Everyone got involved. Um, maybe not a huge game for the um, for the tight ends again. So, you know, with the exception of the tight ends, although they all did get involved. Um, let me just throw out some numbers. Um, DK Metcalf, seven receptions for 98 yards. Tyler Lockett, eight receptions for 92 yards. Jackson Smith and Jigba, four receptions for 53 yards. K9, one reception for 64, right? That beautiful touchdown that he caught. 
Um, Will Disley, two for 22. Zach Charbonnet, four for 18. More Bobo, Jake Bobo, two for 13. Um, Noah Fant, two for six. And then Colby Parkinson, one for three. So obviously not, not a lot from Colby in this game. But my point of all of those numbers rattling them off is that's a lot of dudes that are that were making an impact and that's spreading it out to a lot of different players. And I imagine if I'm a head coach looking at this as an opponent, I'm like, that's a lot of problems, you know, uh, of those guys, um, the explosive plays. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba had an explosive of, of 20 yards. Um, Kenneth Walker, obviously the 64 yarder, Tyler Lockett, 20 yards, DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf, 27 yards, Will Disley, 16. So, I mean, all of those guys, all of those plays are, are flipping the field a little bit. That's adding, um, uh, an incredible dynamic when it, when, even when you have to punt the ball away to be able to keep the other team on the other side of the field the whole time. So, um, you know, not, not that this is an official hats off segment, but, I will say my hat is slightly off to Gino because I love spreading it around to a lot of the receivers. Would you say you tipped your hat? I, it was a, it was more of a tip of the cap. Yes. Great. I wanted to make sure to, you know, my hat was fully off. off the yeah. DK. Uh, and I'm, I'm open for having a, an additional segment on the, on the show. If we take our hats off and then maybe tip our caps and those can be two completely they would be completely different segments. I mean, we'd be talking about two completely different things. But um, yeah, that's that's something for us to roundtable off air, I think. It, it would really increase the budget. The amount I'm spending on these hats the last few weeks, it's really started to go up. But I think it's worth it. Yeah, I, I do think it's worth it. Well, let's table it. Uh, I have a Pete Nugget. Uh, this week, the Pete Nugget is presented by New Orleans Saints tackle Andres Pete. Uh, it's not spelled the same way, but he sponsored it. Um, uh, Pete on the Brock and Salk show on Monday morning. I thought it was kind of fun that he uh, <laughs> he seemed a little annoyed. <laughs> it, it seemed like something had happened, and he just seemed a little annoyed with stuff. So uh, he received a question about uh, effort across the full season, and here here is here was his response. I felt a little bit of the exasperated high school teacher in this uh here's here's what he said it's a big challenge everybody's getting paid and everybody should you still have the mental side of stuff it's hard to stay on it throughout to the point where i spend it seems like 75 percent of my time about our approach and mentality and attitude towards playing completely through a game (laughs) so i felt like he's a little annoyed about hey i'm spending 75 percent of my time it's kind of funny i couldn't it didn't feel like effort was an issue at all uh for the for the Seahawks, so um, I, I I couldn't quite I I, would, I felt like there was something else that happened that he was just a little frustrated with things. It's good to see, you know, he 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 still was up tempo and stuff. It is just kind of funny to see that he, uh, yeah, little a little annoyed here. He he has his days where he's annoyed and it's like, hey, how do I got to keep on talking about effort, man? I'm bringing this every day in my seventies, you know. You know, I wonder, um, It's I think that's a really good observation. And I wonder if a takeaway of that, and even if we're starting to get into coach firing season, right? We're starting to see coaches around the league get fired for, for a multitude of reasons. But Pete has always had high effort teams. And obviously that's not by happenstance, right? You know, you, your employees are doing the things that you're teaching them and training them and coaching them up to do. And, and so, you know, the fact it's like he's, He's pointing out like, hey, a lot of my job is training effort. And 
that is something that is like no one's tracking that like pro football focus, but you know, no one's tracking the effort stat and like how much you have to build effort into a team, maybe even specifically a young team like the Seahawks to get those guys at the level they need to be, to be successful at the highest level of their sport. So that's, I think that's a really cool observation. It's, it, yeah, it was, <laughs> it's, uh, I appreciate that. It was, uh, yeah, I guess it led to my yeah. So it felt like something happened that was just kind of bugging him a little bit before he got on. And you know, that's the life of a coach. He he's got a he does that he does that show every Monday. He does three or four press conferences on YouTube each week. He's a, does another radio hit on Friday. I mean, you know, he's, he's efforting. He's, he's efforting, but you know, something's going to annoy him before he goes on one of those things at at some point. You know. Yep. Um, so my Pete Nugget um, is brought to you by Chicken Nuggets and uh, just a really good uh, standby. You know, if if you don't know what you want to eat tonight, you might want a chicken nugget. Um, so what I liked was, again, it was, it was on Brock and Salk show, um, which, uh, by the way, is currently not a sponsor of the podcast. But um, Mike and Brock, if you guys are listening right now, and you're looking to sponsor the podcast. Again, we don't know how people get a hold of us because we haven't released any emails or anything like that. But you know, we would we would think about accepting your sponsorship. So, you know, feel free to send that in any way you can, or or you know, Brock, you might just have to find us um, you know, in, in your travels throughout the country. Um, but my Pete Nugget was the idea of Pete slowing Gino down at the end of the game. He talked about, you know, hey, we're going into it. And, you know, it's a final drive and him just saying, hey, don't put the ball in harm's way. If we if you know, if we can't get it here, we'll win in overtime. And like, I love Gino's response. Yeah, overtime would be sweet. I get it. Let me see if I can win it now. You know, like, OK, yep, nope. You're right, coach. Overtime would be sweet. Like, I, I can even I can hear someone saying that like, oh, yeah, overtime would be sweet. All right. But yeah, let's win it. Like, let's go. And the idea um just the idea that Pete is kind of in that moment with him, slowing him down. And I don't say that specifically about Gino, slowing down any quarterback that you have, saying, all right, let's make sure that, you know, everything's cool and um and going from there. So I mean, again, you know, Pete just being connected, right, with his players in the right time at the right place and is a good example of it. Yeah, we've seen, we have seen, I'm thinking of the Giants game, you know, coaches yelling at their quarterbacks on the sideline, you know, it, it's not necessarily a positive conversation they're having at that moment, uh, but you know, it is with good old Pete. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I've been reading a book over the last few weeks. It is called uh, When Pride Still Mattered by David Marinus. It's a biography of Vince Lombardi. I can guarantee you I'm the only person, I'm the first person under 60 years old to read this book, but I, I give it my highest recommendation. It's very good. I just wanted a cozy autumn football read. I've been reading it for like a month. I'm halfway through. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take me another month to finish it. It's really great. Uh, so I got, some, I got some fun facts about the Lombardi era just to show how different football was. It's different in ways that are difficult to fathom. We know it was different. How different? It's kind of, it, it gets weird. The first, first thing is that, uh, this maybe is not a surprise, but Pete Carroll did coach with a coach who coached with Vince Lombardi. Crazy. So Pete Carroll was, 
defensive backs coach for the Vikings from 1985 to 1989. For most of that time, the head coach of the team was a guy named Jerry Burns. And Jerry Burns was the defensive backs coach in Green Bay for exactly two years, 66 and 67. That was the years of Super Bowls number one and number two. So we, we're just one degree away, Pete Carroll to Vince Lombardi. I thought that was just really wild. It kind of makes sense when you look at the, the decades and the timelines, but it's still, it's still crazy. So I got some... Uh, some a couple questions here that are that are impossible to answer. So just first thought, best thought. Uh, what what do you think happened uh, back in the day in football? So in 1949, Vince Lombardi was an assistant coach at Army, and they would get booed at games for doing what they called the two platoon system. And fans did not like this. It wasn't viewed as real football. What is the quote unquote two platoon system? Um, my first initial gut reaction to quarterbacks, having two quarterbacks. You're pretty close. So the two platoon system is having different players play offense and defense. It was viewed as not real football. You got to have the same guys in there all 60 minutes. So that's when they were starting it. It was not a welcome, uh, innovation. If you're a real man, you can play linebacker and quarterback. That's incredible. I love that. That's well, funny. it's kind of be like it sounded like they would kind of be linemen, and they were just linemen. They were just on the line the whole game. Switch over, yeah, that's funny. This one seems gettable, but it's not, unfortunately. Which current NFL team, current NFL team, led the league in attendance, usually by a wide margin, for eight out of ten years in the 1950s, and regularly got over ninety thousand people at their games? Um, the Green Bay Packers. It's a great guess. It is the Los Angeles Rams. What a, I don't know how this happened that they were the most popular team of the 50s and then to the point where now they're like back in Los Angeles, but their their stadium is known for having visiting teams invaded. This was the biggest draw in the I didn't know they existed that far back. So I, I don't know what happened between the 60s, 70s, and 80s. It seems like the Rams should be up there with the Packers and Steelers as like America's teams. But um, they, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what happened after that. But I, it was like that was the draw in the NFL was, was the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, can you believe it? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's that's great. Yeah, we we should we should uh, map that out for next week since we're facing the Rams. We should map out their their journeys from city to city and you know the different places the Rams have existed. Um, I'll I'll do a little homework on that for next week. I mean, ninety thousand people at a game would be insane for today. That was happening in the fifties with these guys. It, it wasn't like every game, but they would have. Uh, yeah. All right, last one. Again, this seems like a gettable question, but unfortunately it's not because football was too crazy back then. 1959, Vince Lombardi's first year in Green Bay. Uh, This is before the Super Bowl era. They play a 12-game regular season. How many preseason games did they have? Two. They had six. (laughs) Six? That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> they are just like like they're they are just constantly in the preseason for so long. So the twelve game regular season is short. That we'd be get, we're almost to the end of that right now. You know, nine games in. There were so fewer teams back then that across the entire league, 
there were the entire NFL had 72 total regular season games. All games, all teams were up to 272 these days. We've added an extra 200 football games. So that's uh I'll probably have another <laughs> that's I'll report back on the the Vince Lombardi era, but uh when pride still mattered, it's a really good book. And the author's really good about uh that title is kind of a joke of saying like, hey, there was still there was still underhanded stuff that happened in college football, not with Lombardi himself, but in New York City in the in the 30s and 40s, um, you know, there were scandals, there was stuff happening. It, it wasn't this beautiful, perfect time. Um, so yeah, when pride still mattered, David Marinus, Vince Lombardi, it's good stuff. I think I'm gonna like the Lombardi um, football hour. That's that's no, that's that's really good. Um, okay, so next week, right? I mean, speaking of perfect timing, those beautiful Rams are coming. Uh, uh, is this a home game? Man, if I was a good podcast host, I would know if this was home the or away. Rams, we are, we are, uh, the Seahawks will be in Los Angeles, the in team LA. of the 50s, okay. because yes. uh, the Rams came up and, and beat Seattle in their, in their home week okay. one. Okay. Um, tough game. Uh, the Rams, it seems like, are always a really difficult game. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, but it's going to be a tough game. Stafford hurt, but it sounds like he's going to be playing. It sounds like he's recovered at least enough with that really, really gross, like thumb hand injury thing that he had. I mean, I watched that in slow motion and I kind of got a little queasy. It, it looked pretty, pretty rough when that injury happened in real time. Uh, Cooper cup playing in this game. He didn't play in week one, but and also there were two other young men that didn't play in week one that are playing in this game. One, Mr. Spoon, and one, Jamal Adams, which, I mean, those two guys can make a big impact. So what do you think of this game? I do think the Seahawks should win this one. We're, this is the last game before pretty much the toughest month possible in an NFL uh, calendar. I do think the Hawks will get it. And I, I, I'm curious, that first game, you know, we didn't know who Puka Nakua was. That was just a, a deep rookie. And I wonder if that really made an impact. I, w- I wonder how different it'll be where it's like, okay, we, d- we definitely know this guy's coming. We definitely know we have to be prepared for him. Um, I wonder just how much of a difference that makes. I, I'm, I, guess I, I guess I'm assuming it'll make a positive difference because, boy, was that a surprise week one. And then credit to Nakua. He, that was not um, an accident. You know, so um, between Adams and Witherspoon and, and knowing you really have to be aware of Nakua, I I do, I do think they should get the victory. Yeah, I'm going to say, this is my guess, we're going to win 30-23. to 23. I think I think it'll be a close game, um, but I think our offense is going to click this week, and I think we're going to see a really good version of the team. So I'm, I'm, that's my, I'm calling it. Calling my shot, 30-23. to 23. I'm, I'm even more optimistic about this one. I know I've been more pessimistic at times. I'm, I'm going to go 27-13. Okay. Well, we shall see. Miles, as always, this was an absolute pleasure. Go Hawks. Tristan, absolutely. Go Seahawks. Go Vince Lombardi. Go, go Lombardi. <laughs>